G'day, g'day guys. Now before we dive into today's show, I want to let you know that some of you may be aware that over the past eight years, I have built a substantial multifamily real estate portfolio here in the US worth over half a billion dollars. And in that time, my passive investors have received fantastic double digit returns. And now you too can invest directly into my deals for as little as $50,000. So if you're an interested investor, head over to reedgoosens.com to find out more. That's reedgoosens.com. Now back into the show. I think right now uh, the economy is literally at a halt. Jobs remain good. Capital is not flowing. So between now and the next 12 months, um, capital will start to flow. Um, I think things will normalize. I don't think interest rates come screaming back down, but normalizing is good because the Fed has been acting erratic, which, which puts fear into everybody. They've done something they've never done before in the history of the Fed. Um, so whenever they do something like that, like raise rates as fast as they've done, um, people sit back and go, my gosh, we didn't expect that because they've never done it before. So you, you're just at a time where people are very fearful. So um, that's okay. I'm actually uh, not, not necessarily, I don't want to say excited about it. It makes it much more challenging for our current projects, but it makes me that much more motivated to actually get them to breaking ground because I think it's going to be the perfect time to put a shovel in the ground, kind of like Q3, Q4 of, of, of next year, like it's not going to be a better time to build because no one else is. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reid Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Brian Underwood. Now, Brian is the founding principal of Responsible Residential, which is also called RR, and he's also the president of Responsible Real Estate, Inc., 
RRE, which is a San Diego-based real estate investment company. And Brian started both companies after spending over a decade in his family business called A1 Self Storage. Now, since 2007, this is when Brian first got started in the business, he has purchased over 1.5 million square feet of self-storage with a market value of over $200 million. So I am really pumped and excited to have him on the show today to share his incredible knowledge and insight with me. But enough of me, let's get him out here. G'day, Brian. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Excellent, Reed. Uh, good to be here, man. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, really excited about our conversation here. Yeah, man. Well, look, a lot of stuff to talk about. I do want to get involved in uh, you know, San Diego. I'm sure you're a surfer like I am. Um, uh, and you know, I've, I've been down to Trestles many, many times. And it's uh, the, the winter's coming, as they say here in California. And that's when the big swell is. So I'm just up. I'm, I'm up the road from you in Los Angeles. So we definitely should uh, meet up sometime for a beer and maybe even a surf. But before we get into your story or in the background of what you do, can you rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid? First ever dollar as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> Jogging my memory a little bit. Um, I really wanted uh, to buy some rollerblades. And my mother said, if you want some rollerblades, you better figure out how to make some money. And uh, I said, okay, what do you suggest I do? So she said, well, we've got some fruit trees. Why don't you pick some fruit and sell it? <laughs> wow, that's a fantastic idea. So I literally picked, I don't know how many bags of oranges and lemons and limes, you know, Southern California stuff, avocados, bagged it up, went down to the busy street, which is Greenfield by my house. And uh, I think I made like a hundred bucks, which was like 25 more than what wow. I needed to buy my rollerblade. So I was like, Hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thanks, mum and dad, for the for the fruit trees, right? <laughs> yeah, I, you know there there was no uh, cogs, right? You know what I mean? There, I didn't have to account for right the the water bill or planting of the trees. I literally just got to literally pick the fruit and go sell it for money, which was awesome. Yeah, I, I'm sure mum and dad would have had their hand out saying, "Okay, well, here's the, where's the maintenance cost? <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the, the growing over the last ten years. Yeah, you know, your hundred bucks right. is going to look a lot less than uh, if they take out their costs out of that." <laughs> <laughs> That's totally right. But mate, w- walk us through the journey. You know, I mentioned in the beginning you 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 used to work for your family business. So clearly, you've grown up around real estate. But what was the pre real estate Brian doing, and and w- why did you get sucked into the family business? Okay, I'll try to make this as short as possible. I mean, um, I, I'm a, I'm a storyteller, so it makes it kind of difficult to condense it all. But really, what Brian was doing before he got into real estate. Um, Many things, but I, you know, I was a server at a restaurant. I kind of, you know, I, 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 I grew up, you know, I started at the bus boy, became a server. Um, so service industry stuff, uh, right before I got into real estate, I was actually selling women's shoes at Nordstrom, which was phenomenal job, but not my career job. I mean, I, I was 21 years old, made like, I think it was like 80 or $85,000 selling women's shoes. And I was wow. like, wow, this is pretty incredible stuff, you know, but I was making more money than everyone else around me. And a lot of people around me were much older than me. So I'm like, all right, well, clearly I'm not going to do this for very long, but it's fun right now. Um, and it was a, um, a, a friend of mine was getting into the real estate business, but he was, you know, 30 years older than me and came from power electronics and bought a piece of real estate and was looking for, um, a, you know, really a mentee. And so, um, 
uh, he became my mentor. And what we did was uh, I, I sort of stumbled across a piece of real estate and it, it started just, it just really started my deep dive into my real estate journey. As I said, okay, well, how do I put a value on this piece of real estate? Right. And so then I started like reading books and I got my salesperson license and like through some of his guidance, like just trying to figure out what is this piece worth? And we ended up making an offer on this uh, as a light industrial piece in the city of Santee um, for $150,000. They wanted $250,000. It was donated to the YMCA. So we kind of lowballed them, but they took it. And so um, it was at that point that I was like, well, shoot, I don't, like, I don't want to just like uh, learn here. I want to be a part of this, right? And I was 24 years old and I put a eight and a half, 11 sheet of uh, paper together with my back of the napkin pro forma and my business plan. And I sat with a family member and I said, I need to borrow $50,000 because I found this piece of land and I want to be a third owner in it. And we could build a 7,500 square foot spec industrial building. Here's how I pay you back. And because they were supportive and maybe a little bit ignorant, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy for both, um, more supportive, right? Uh, because I, I, I at least had a good story to share with them. Um, they, they loaned me the $50,000. And about four months later, we got an offer on a piece of property for $425,000. Wow. And I, I'm looking at that going, well, shoot, that's like my profit now, as opposed to taking all this risk and liability and debt and everything else that goes along with real estate development. So we sold it, gave the money back with interest. I think you know, after closing costs, I had about 70, maybe $80,000 sitting in the bank and I was hooked. And, and that was my entry into real estate. <laughs> <laughs> and so your, did I mention earlier that your family was involved in real estate as well? Yes. So grew up um, talking about real estate. My grandfather started the business um, back in 58. Um, he, he, he basically started in, um, what's considered Grantville in San Diego, which is like East Mission Valley. He started, um, basically just getting a hold of family owners and saying, I want to long-term lease your piece of property. And they said, well, what do you want to do with it? He said, I want to, you know, I want to build a grocery store. I want to build this guy's building. And he just kind of went, I mean, now that piece of property, he still owns today. It's 18 acres right in the center of the universe in San Diego, that operates as flex industrial space right now today. Um, so, so I kind of grew up around it. Um, the family got into self storage. So in junior high, one of my jobs was to go wash doors, <laughs> you know, <laughs> make, make some summer money. Um, so what happened from my, my sort of entry into real estate, which was sort of, you know, influenced by the family, but I didn't go work for the family right away. I kind of found this passion through this first deal and some of the people I was working with. That, that it, I, you know, I basically stepped out of that deal and I was like, gosh, I love this stuff. You know, my family does have a sizable real estate company. Maybe I should go talk to my uncle who runs it and see if there's a place for me there. And initially the response was no. Um, and whether that was true or not didn't matter because I, I don't really take no for an answer. I just kind of poke around the edges a little bit. So initially it was no, and, and come to find out it was no because uh, they didn't want me to waste their time. And um, so hmm. I said, okay, well, uh, how about you give me like a six-month trial period here? You know, if I'm wasting time, then I'll leave, right? Um, anyway, you know, you fast forward, I spent 10 years at the family business. And uh, through the family business, you know, I, I got to spend $60 million buying land, securing entitlements for the million and a half 
uh, square feet of self-storage that you talked about. And, and I, I really, you know, I mean, it's where I cut my teeth. It's where I honed my skills. It's where I learned all the different facets of real estate development. Um, you know, everything from how do I, how do I talk to a potential seller? Um, you know, I guess even a precursor to that would make sure it's a property that you want to buy, right? So making sure the size works for self-storage, the zoning works for self-storage, access works for self-storage, right? So every the, the filter of like what the site analysis component, then you're getting a hold of, of owners negotiating a deal. I'm putting together contracts. Uh, you know, I'm opening escrows and reviewing title reports and looking at the exceptions and making sure that the title's clean. Um, I'm working with the city. So civil engineers, architects, city, getting entitlements, managing all the due diligence, uh, property due diligence, you know, so you got not just your civil engineers, but you got surveyors and you've got your geotechs and you've got, you know, I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. I didn't learn it overnight, right? It's like 10 years of like literally this is all I did. Um, and, and so, yeah, with the time with the self, uh, the family and self storage was awesome. Uh, really credit them to a lot of, of what I learned. And, uh, and, and then ultimately in 2017, I left to start my company. That's awesome. And how was that leaving part? Because I'm sure with all the skills that you learned, there was just always going to be a ceiling, right? You wanted to go flap your own wings, you know, the, the birds fly away from the nest. Was it, I assume it was amicable, but, you know, was it, you know, bittersweet at the same time? No, yeah. Bit, bittersweet for me. Um, uh, so to your point, right, there, there was absolutely, um, and, you know, really in every business, um, unless it's yours, you know, unless it's yours, there's going to be some ceiling. Um, and I had sort of talked to my uncle who ran the business for several years, trying to just figure out what's, what's something more that I can do in your business to help me continue to grow professionally and personally, not just, not just on paper or like financially or net worth. Clearly that's important, but just always continue to build my skills and not just kind of be asleep at the will, just kind of, you know, sliding into the day and let's just coast. Because after you do the same thing for 10 years, you get really good at it. And mm-hmm. the family business is set up where um, my, my job as the um, acquisitions director was to find the best two deals I could find in a year. Okay, so we had only planned to do two deals that year. Not that we can't do more or, or less, but my, my, you know, I had, I checked all the boxes when I found two and I could, just about do that in my sleep, certainly towards the end of my career with them. And I don't mean that as like puffing my chest. Again, you just get really good at what at, at the lens and what I was trying to do. And so I was in those trying to figure out, you know, what are other ways that I can continue to grow? And the, the response, unfortunately, was always like, keep your head down, you'll be fine in 20 years. And I was like, mm. well, shoot, that's not me. <laughs> you know, like, mm. I'm not a not really a keep your head down kind of guy. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um you know, I realized in 2015 that this is probably going to be coming to an end. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started kind of planning my exit. Um, it, it definitely wasn't really mutual, unfortunately, like mm. bittersweet for me to leave. I would love to have stayed if there was ways for me to grow within the family business, but it became obvious it wasn't. So I decided, okay, let's like, rotate out and, and let me sort of forfeit this very secure job that I'll never be poor. I'll probably always make more money, but really there's a ceiling and I've got limited potential. 
So let me let me sort of rotate out of that, take on a bunch of risk, but kind of have unlimited potential. And mm. when I thought about it in in that sort of phrasing, I was like, yeah, this is a no brainer. I'm 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 going to go off and inherit a bunch of risk. You know, I'm not going to know where my paycheck's coming from, but let's use the skills that we learned over the last decade and and let's go figure it out. Um, so yeah, it was it, it it was actually a surprise to the family when I decided to leave. They they didn't know that was coming. Hmm. Um, some people understood it, some people didn't, but, um, uh, here nor there, you know, I guess we're 2022. So we're way long gone. We're, we're past that now. <laughs> right. And, and what was, what was the thesis going out, you know, in terms of creating your own residential real estate company? Was it to, to emulate what you'd learned to, so self-storage ground up development? That certainly would be the logical thing to do. And I think that's what everybody expected me to do. Um, there was some sensitivity to the family of kind of going in because people had done this in the past, going in, learn the business and then go off and do your own stuff. And so that's why they maybe were a little bit frustrated or, you know, um, didn't really like my approach. But um, no, I actually wanted to go into, of all things, I thought I was going to go into co-working space. Mm. Um, it, you know, it was kind of new at the time or newer-ish. Obviously, WeWork was, you know, a name brand. Um, I really thought that there is an opportunity and, and, and quite frankly, I, I think there still is. I just don't want to be in that space any longer, but it reminded me of self-storage, how self-storage and the genesis of how it became, how it came to be like in 1968 is, you know, you basically have industrial warehousing. And what we did is we chopped up a big box into smaller boxes and rented it out to, you know, consumers for a you know higher price per foot. You know, it's essentially what you're doing with co-working space. You're taking a great big space, you're chopping up into smaller boxes, you're you're creating amenities around it. So there's a lot of symmetry to what I had learned in self-storage to what co-working space is as a product. Um, a lot more service-oriented in obviously co-working space than than in self-storage, but there's a lot of similarities. And and really, um, in hindsight, it was a blessing because I spent the first 12 to 18 months actually putting together a really robust business plan. I wanted to be like the spokes to the hub. So let WeWork go out and, and go downtown and, and build 200,000 square feet of class A office space out. I wanted to be in the La Mesa's of the world, the Encinitas's of the world. And I wanted to build 10 to 20,000 square foot spaces and ultimately package up and sell to them as again, sort of the, the spokes to the hub. Um, so uh, after I had two properties in escrow, raising money for the business, everything just stopped. And I was like, whoa, didn't see that coming. And by necessity, I had to put on my broker hat for the first time to uh, bring in a paycheck. And that launched me into home building. <laughs> so hmm. uh, the, my, my very first um, listing that I got was raw land. Okay, well, I know raw land. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I was hunting for self-storage, right? Um, I know, I, I know how to buy raw land. Now let's kind of turn, a, turn, turn the table around. Let's figure out how to sell raw land. Um, I know everything about self-storage. I know nothing about home building. So let me learn. So I, I just, I, I went down the rabbit hole of, of home building. I reached out to everybody in my network in San Diego to figure out what, what you know, what, what do I need to know? What, what, what drives the home building? What are, how, Actually, one of the first questions I was like, how come we're not building more of these things? Because the demand is so huge. <laughs> like self-storage, you know, I knew all the metrics. Self-storage, I needed 14 new people for demand for one new 10 by 10. And I'm going to be building 
you know, thousand of those for one facility, right? So the demand metrics were like very, you know, very, very limited where 2.7 new bodies, I can build one new unit, right? I mean, there's like, the demand is so astronomical. How come we're not building more? And my buddy, who's actually one of my partners now, Jake Schwartz, he said, go find a deal. (laughs) And I was like, well, buddy, uh, that's exactly what I know how to do. Find a deal. Because that's what I did for 10 years, right? So um, actually getting ready, really excited, getting ready to go full circle on my, I'm using like kind of air quotations on my very first project, you know, where where basically I signed the front of every check um, that went out, which was the most substantial amount of money that has ever been in my bank account and has ever left my bank account. Okay. Um, getting ready to fill back up, knock on wood, but we, um, my first deal that I was brokering for a friend of mine was an entitled um, townhome project in Santee, which is kind of funny because that's the same city that I launched my real estate career in, right? That I was just talking about earlier. So, um, I started marketing this property for the guy and just to broker the deal. And then I realized I know more about this deal than anyone else in the entire world. And perhaps this is my deal, not anybody else's. And so we just struck a deal. I was the broker, but, but I ended up buying it. And uh, 10 build to rent townhomes in Santee. Um, we have now completed the project. We are all leased up and we're under contract to sell and scheduled to close next week actually on that. So first project to go seek the nest on, which is really exciting. For those of you who are interested in staying up to date with all the latest happenings in my business, or to learn more about passively investing directly into my multifamily value-add deals, then head over to reedgoosens.com and sign up for my monthly newsletter. By signing up, you'll automatically be notified about my new up-and-coming investment opportunities. You'll be able to stay up to date with all the latest real estate news here in the United States and much, much more. So head over to reedgoosens.com and sign up today. Now, back into the show. That's that's incredible. Um, just rewinding back to the co-working space, I actually happened to invest personally in a, a space, a buddy of mine, a, it's Beach City Capital, they're local here to LA, sort of Long Beach area, mm-hmm. uh, I think called Local Collaborative. Um, so very same sort of niche of not being the big box kind of retailer of co-working, right. but looking at those cooler spaces, ten to twenty thousand, closer to the beach, yep. you know, in a good walkable area that you can come and turn it into um, office space that people need, which just is, is very, uh, but but in class A locations, uh, yeah. it's very very difficult to come and find that. And and uh, he, he, you know, I've passively invested in a couple of those deals. And um, why didn't it work out in, in the long run on that? Because it feels like there's still that need there particularly you're hedging your risk of only taking on 20,000 square feet. You're not taking on the million square foot like we worked in. Yeah, the, so um, the, story, the story gets personal, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> the reason why it stopped is my large investor was like on the real estate side and in the business. So yeah. they were very supportive of what I was doing. I left the family business to go launch and they said, uh, you go find two awesome locations and you raise half the money for your business, we will be the real estate investor in the real estate and we will match dollar for dollar what you can raise on the business side. So I needed, 
uh, I needed $1.5 million per location for FF&E to launch the business and on all the cash flow. The build out. Yeah. Right. For the, for everything. And then on the real estate, um, there was a, there's a building in La Mesa and then there was a building in La Jolla. Uh, we're going to be my first two locations, which are great markets. And, um, you know, I spent a lot of my money, uh, you know, obviously under contract doing due diligence and, um, in July, excuse me, it's August 20th of 2018. Um, it was when my grandma passed mm. and it was 20 days before that, that we found out that she had kind of full blown cancer. And so 20 days later she passed. And that was literally the time I was supposed to close escrow and, and do all this robust business planning. And it was one of those, like, this is much bigger than Brian Underwood. This is like, you know, our, our little, our, our rock and our family. I don't have a small family. It's very large uh, just passed away. And the last thing that I'm going to do is be selfish and think of me and my business plans and real estate and everything else. And I was like, we're, let's take care of family. Let's don't worry about my plan. Um, mm. we'll, I'll, we'll figure it out. And so because I had hedged a lot on family participation in that and didn't really contingency a plan around that, it really halted all of my plans. And, um, which is again, not bad. I, I look I, you know, you ask yourself why at the time, and I go, okay, like I, I, you know, I, I found myself in a home building, love it, got a big, awesome team. Like, you know, COVID was tough for all of us. It would have been very tough if I had owned real estate and had debt and couldn't have anybody occupy office space. So I'm glad I wasn't in that business at the time. Um, but I do think on, on more of a macro level of co-working space coming out of something particularly like COVID, there's never been a better time to be in that type of office space like that is the future it's it's people are going to be going back to the office and i do think that the employers probably eventually win but i do think that um all in order to to create i shouldn't say that attract and retain good talent you need to be a little bit flexible it can't be this adamant like you got to be in the office five days a week so i mm. think co-working space is a good supplement to traditional office space where there's business relationships that you have and the business is actually a member, like maybe they've got 10 memberships. And, and if you've got people that live in National City or Oceanside or El Cajon, whatever the case may be, hey, we've got a relationship with my company name was Office Local. We got a, a, we got a business relationship with Office Local. Why don't you go to the one close to home two days a week? You know, there's, there's access controls. Like, you know, when they're in there because their smartphone tells you that they're in there. So you, you know they're in the office. You don't have to check in on them. There's there's just a lot of really cool things that I, I do believe that that is the future. So um, it would be a, a good time, I think, to be in that space right now because, uh, you know, sky's the limit. Mm. No, I, I think it is. And you're right with this, the, the, the sort of spoken hub type of scenario where people want to be flexible, but not necessarily want to go all the way into the major corporate office, but they want to have the interaction with other human beings, particularly coming out of COVID. And, and, and my condolences to, to your grandma, but it, it, it sort of, it's funny how these life-changing alter events put into perspective. And, you know, if you'd gone down that path, you might have been in a different scenario because of what happened during COVID. So definitely. Right. Um, what, what are you seeing right now? And what are you focusing on in terms of you know, where we are in the economy, the, the ground up construction, the cost of you know lending and, and, and yeah. just what's your sort of two cents in, in, in your sort of uh, crystal ball? Yeah, so, um, so what we're focused on, I still very much like the build to rent communities. 
I'm looking at um, some townhome opportunities. I'm looking at even some single family home development opportunities. But on the on the build the rent side, um, I over the last year became a partner in um, a company called Urban Housing Partners. This is kind of new information. I'm not even sure if I've shared this with anybody yet. Um, Urban Housing Partners is synonymous with you know infill high dense residential development in San Diego. They've been around for 40 years. And um, we, I have a good relationship with these guys and um, my, my partner in responsible residential, him and I realized we don't want to build 10 townhomes again. We want to build a hundred apartments, you know, if not even larger than that. And that's going to take a much larger team than just him and I. And so we had reached out to urban housing partners and through some business that we are working on, we talked to Mike, Jake. Casey and Sherm, and we said, hey, here's what you guys have been doing. Here's what we've been doing. Why don't we go work together and do something bigger? And uh, they kind of nodded their head. And so we have two projects in San Diego. We bought land last year in North Park. Um, and we are actually about to submit for plan check in about a week on 89 um, market rate apartments. And uh, really, really excited about this project. We've been working on it for, you know, what, a year and year and four months, and we're just getting ready to submit for plan check. So um, back to how come there's not more housing? It takes a long time. <laughs> okay, so that's yep. why there's not more housing. I mean, 89 units is a very large project. Okay, this is going to be a $37 million project. Okay, but it's 89 units, right? To drop the bucket. It's a, it's a drop in the bucket. San Diego, we need, I think, over the next six years just to catch up on organic growth and 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 the lack of what we've been building is like 108,000 units. Okay, so here's 89, right? By the time I break ground, it will have been, you know, a little over two years. It's going to take 22 months to build, and then I got to lease it up. Okay, so you're talking let's call it four and a half years, maybe probably closer to five years before I start moving in my first tenant. Right. Mm. And you're talking about 89 units. <laughs> it's like, it, right. it just, it it's, blows, it's ridiculous. It blows your mind. Like it's like, Holy smoke. So, um, but that's what we're focused on. Our relationships are very deep in the city of San Diego. We know the development code. We know the regulations. We track it. I mean, it's just like that. We know how to get product out of the ground. And so, while it's very difficult and a lot of people shy away from California in general, if you have a competent team that understands it, has the relationships and can get product out of the ground, we can create some massive value there. Um, so, mm. so we are, um, for the first time ever, actually attracting, looking for capital relationships for our projects to help, help assist us get them out of the ground. Um, so in the, in the past, these guys didn't take on any capital. They usually worked with other property owners. Me, I'm going, I love taking on capital because I want to build product. So, you know, kind of combined, that's our efforts is let's go build up, let's go use all our skill sets and get product out of the ground. We are early on, early stages on a 240 unit um, in National City. And then we've got a few more in the pipeline that we are kicking around. Um, so that's Urban Housing Partners. And that's what we're focused on right now. Uh, forgive me. You had asked like a follow-up question, and I, I forgot what it was. No, no, it, it's it's interesting. Um, the 
I've, I've come from development myself. I've worked in Long Beach and my background is in structural engineering. I know how long it takes to entitle and get stuff built out of the ground. I think particularly here in California, yeah. but also you know, across most major cities. How's the, the, what's keeping the lights on? Like the business itself, like how do you keep the lights on in the development world to your point of getting five years to get a, a product out of the ground and leased up? Like I know I buy existing multifamily value add in five years, I'm probably selling my deal that I bought five years ago and making a bunch of money for my investors. And so how, how do you sort of justify that and, and keep the business going, uh, employees paid and all that sort of stuff when when development is so, um, it's a it's a long, it's a true long-term it's, game. It's, it's not easy, okay? I mean, it is, uh, it's, it, I mean, it's really a challenge every day because I mean, even though I'm five years in on my company, like we're still, we're still very, very, very young, okay? So, mm-hmm. um, I would like to be in a position where I'm focused hundred percent on building my next hundred units on San Diego. But the reality is like, until those projects get far enough along and are fully capitalized, I can't take my development fee. Like it's not until I get them so far down the road. Okay. So like when I was building Santee townhomes, that was my very first project. I did not work in any fees for myself, which is not good by the way. Don't ever do that. <laughs> Because you got to keep the lights on. You got to pay the bills. You got to feed your kids, right? You can't just have this project that's going to take three years. Like you have to be able to, you have to be able to pay yourself. And so what ends up happening is, is your focus goes someplace else. Okay. So um, like last year I brokered for friends and family, I brokered two different uh, apartment complexes, a 24 unit and a 30 unit, right? So between those two deals and Southern California pricing, like that filled up, you know, my business account and it pays me a salary. And that's how I, that's how I keep lights on. Right. But same team about to sell, that's, that's going to give me a nice little cushion, but you have to, you have to get the projects far enough along where you have your capital stack. It's fully funded. And then you can start taking some development fees and, you know, when $38 million projects, those are pretty substantial. You know, um, so you have to, but you have to have several going on and it's taken five years to even get to where I am and we're not there yet. So not easy, brother. And um, it's not for the faint of heart. It's, it's, um, you know, people look at developers and they go, you know, you greedy bastards and it's nothing like, it's just like, it's crazy that people even think that way. Like you have no idea how much risk, not just for me, for, for my own money, my investors, my family, like it is so much stinking risk that I'm putting on the table to build just even 10 houses. It, it, it blows right. my mind. Some people would say, why would you even do that? And part of it is, well, I mean, yes, you can get paid well if you, if you don't make a decision that sinks the ship. But the other side of it is I just love this stuff. Like I wouldn't want to mm-hmm. do anything else. I just, I love everything about it. Um, so I, I love it from a job standpoint, you know? No, I and I've seen both hands. I work for a, bit, a ground developer and a buddy of mine, Jason, who runs Beach City Capital. He's been on this podcast a couple of times. Um, he and I started our companies together. I'm a value add multifamily guy. He's a ground up construction guy, and you know, there's been different scale. I can I can attract money investors when I can say, hey, look, this thing cash flows from day one, putting lipstick on a pig. It's in these secondary markets, tertiary markets, you know, primary markets in our other states. And he's, you know, slogging it out with Redondo City Council, which I've been to a couple of meetings on, and they're talking about some freaking, <laughs> you know, they're talking, we're, we're in the coastal zone and, you know, you've got to provide more, for, uh, you know, yeah. 
uh, bloody parking. Yeah. It's like, well, he's already, I've already built to, I've already built to spec. I built to code. Yeah. Like, no. Yeah. And it's taken four yeah. years, and it just, I, I, and then the attraction of capital, particularly risk capital okay. at the beginning. It's super tough. Mm-hmm. Like it's you know the average the people. We, the reason I do this show is to educate the masses about you know financial freedom. But out of all the people that I attract capital from, there's a very 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 small percentage. I'm talking probably less than two yeah. percent that would understand the risk tolerance needed for ground up development yeah. to then put their money in pre development, pre entitlement, like in and and understanding where that all falls along the line. Absolutely. It's, and I just say that for the, for for the listeners because it's not of the faint-hearted. I, I I've been very close to the to 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 the fire in terms of that seeing the inside of that business. Um, and it's 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 tough to make a profitable business sustainable while you have got five years between drinks, yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, and and the other that's thing, right. the amount of time, like one asset manager for me and my multifamily stuff, he could probably cover four to six assets across you know different markets. You need. I was a project manager for development in Long Beach. I could only do maximum yeah. two, right? Where I'd be a pest oh, yeah. at the city, you know, going back and forth, getting permits, you know, entitlements, you know, dealing with the, 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 the all the consultants, the architects, the geotech, just getting it to permits, getting it through, you know, entitlements, getting it through, you know, to to you get your CDs, and then coming out the other side and getting it through construction, and they just so so the the actual bandwidth of 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 human capital you need to run a development company. Is also doubled because you know I can go out and do six or seven deals a year with my value of multifamily. I probably have one person cover that from an asset management point of view. You probably need to do the same equivalent. You probably need like four bodies to project manage that same size, yeah, it's, it's and it's tough. just it's very difficult. Yeah, it's tough. We we rely um, so Mike Downham. He's he's our. The, he's the construction partner on the team. You know, he's been a GC. He's worked for the big home builders. He's been with urban housing for, you know, 30 years. He's done, you know, $300 million high rises to you name it, just about everything. And to have a partner like that on the team that understands the project management construction process, right? Because we're very much relying on actual project managers we're hiring, our GC, their superintendent, watching all the subs. But to have a partner that understands that 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 component from soup to nuts is invaluable for us. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a, definitely a huge value add when you talk about our group and the ability. And you're right, it's very difficult. You know, no one no one just has seven million dollars sitting in their bank account to then go right. Oh well, um, yeah. Let me just buy this property real quick. You know, they can sit there mm-hmm. for two years not making any money, and let me go spend another three million dollars with architects and consultants to get the to, to get the building permit. Now I've got the golden ticket where I can go raise equity and put my debt together and go fund the project, right? Like that's what you need. And then you're breaking ground. <laughs> yeah, 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 then you're breaking ground. So, you know, what, I mean, we are just, you just make it happen. Yes, like fast forward, we're not at our, our stage right now, like forever, like fast forward. I think we have some very, very good, um, uh, even initially like co-GP partners that are willing to go 50-50 on the pursuit, like the high-risk capital. Like that, that that's, that's huge for us because now I can go do probably three more projects than what I can do right now if I had someone supplementing and go, we know you guys, we know what you're looking for, we know you, you, you know the city, like go get three more deals and we'll go 50-50 with you on high-risk capital. My gosh, Same. like we're going, you know? Mm-hmm. So those are, those are the types of relationships that we're working for because every bit helps. Like we've got, we've got the talent, 
we've got like literally the bandwidth to go make it happen with this team. Like it's, it's awesome. I mean, just look at these two projects that we're working on right now are just phenomenal. Like really, really excited about them. That's great. That's awesome. Mate. Well, look, I like to ask the question at the end of the show, what's going to happen in the next 12 months, you think coming out of this very volatile time with interest rates? Uh, well, that's a, that's really open, open-ended question. What's going to happen? Um, I think right now, uh, the economy is literally at a halt. Jobs remain good. Capital's not flowing. So between now and the next 12 months, um, capital will start to flow. Um, I think things will normalize. I don't think interest rates come screaming back down, but normalizing is good because the Fed has been acting erratic, which which puts fear into everybody. They've done something they've never done before in the history of the Fed. Um, so whenever they do something like that, like raise rates as fast as they've done, um, people sit back and go, my gosh, we didn't expect that because they've never done it before. So you, you're just at a time where people are very fearful. So um, that's okay. I'm actually uh, not not necessarily, I don't want to say excited about it. It makes it much more challenging for our current projects, but it makes me that much more motivated to actually get them to breaking ground because I think it's going to be the perfect time to put a shovel in the ground, kind of like Q, Q3, Q4 of, of, of next year, like it's not going to be a better time to build because no one else is. I completely agree. I think at this this time is an extremely valuable time to be making a lot of money because there is so much uncertainty in the market, but that scares a lot of competition away. And if you know, if you're really, really good at what you do at your trade in terms of being an inch wide and a mile deep, like you are in San Diego with the local city council, understanding how to entitle dirt, having the team behind you that understands the risk, then you you start you start separating the, the hay from the chaff, right? Yep. And the cream will rise to the top and you will start to get opportunities that probably weren't presented to you maybe five years ago when you started your business. Absolutely. So yeah. So sticking around the hoop in these hard times is extremely important. Yep. Well, mate, at the end of every show, we'd like to dive into the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Let's roll. Mate, question number one is what's the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? So the, the key there is I, I practice. So I'm not perfect at it. I practice it. I, I like to get up and read the Bible first thing. Mm, got it. Interesting. Awesome stuff. Question number two is who's been the most influential person in your career to date? My grandfather, by far. Right. And he, he's still alive, right? He is. That's yeah. awesome. He's the one that started the business, correct? Back in 1958? Yeah. yeah. You, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't know that he's 92. He's, I got, I'm, he's a, like, People call me a deal junkie, and I'm like, well, you haven't met my grandfather. <laughs> he, is, That's awesome. he is the epitome of a deal junkie. That's awesome. Question number three is, what's the most influential tool in your business? When I say a tool, it could be a physical tool like a phone or a journal, or it could be a piece of software that you just can't run the business without. What is it? Yeah, my, um, I, I started a long time ago. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it a journal, but I, I, I have a notepad that I have used since uh, I, I was like 23 or 24, um, same style of notepad. I, I, I go through them about every six months and I have every single one. Yep, I mean, it's it, it's the same cover, okay? But I changed <laughs> the notepad inside, right? Uh, so uh, just a tip that I got early on from a mentor of mine that said, write everything down. And mm-hmm. uh, I haven't stopped. That yep. just, uh, you, when you write it down, I you, you just, you remember it. I, I remember stuff that people are like, how do you remember that? 
you know, and I'm like, that's probably in my journal, <laughs> you know. Right. But yeah, no, I completely it, agree. It's, uh, it's so it's so valuable, you know, having a journal. I'm, I'm, I just for those people who weren't, I who are watching this on YouTube, I flashed my own journal in front mm -hmm. of Brian because we we both. Yeah, I, I've got to physically write it down. There's something about the art of writing it down. It goes into your brain and is in the back of it. And you remember it. So so yep. awesome stuff. Absolutely. Uh, question number four is in one sentence, what's been the biggest failure in your career? What did you learn from that failure? The biggest failure. Um, I think the biggest failure is, is succumbing to fear. So not, you know, I'll get in my own head and I, and I'm, I'm, I'm sharing this cause I know I'm not alone. I get in my head and say, You've never done that before. You don't have all the pieces put together, you know, on and on and on. Like just that, that thread that causes you to just sit still and not move. And nothing's more costly than sitting still and not moving. So um, get that junk out of your head <laughs> and, and go. And who cares if you fail? Um, you know, like make sure you can still feed your kids. So, so don't, be, don't be stupid. But go fail because you will be like so much further ahead than almost everybody around you. I love it. Absolutely love it. Mate, last question is where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. Where do they go? Yeah, I've got a website set up that is investwithbrian.com. Investwithbrian.com. So my name is spelled B-R-Y-A-N, investwithbrian.com. Got it. Awesome stuff, mate. Well, look, I want to thank you so much for jumping on today's show. I just want to reflect some of the things that I took away. I think the, you know, very lucky to be to be born into a, a family or just have a quick, you know, kismet that your family was involved in real estate, but having the nous to be a persistent and be a pest and say to your uncle, hey, I can be valuable. And then going and learning the trade over 10 years to then taking the risk and jumping out and, and taking on that more risk. You know, it's it's you, you, you mentioned fear earlier, and I think that's so important that you've got to get comfortable with fear and not having all the, 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 the traffic lights turn green at the same time to say, like, let's go off and go. Um, there's that element to you, and I think that's it's really, really powerful. But also then you're breaking down how difficult it is to run a development company over the long term. And some people don't actually realize that, to your point, they just think you know, greedy developers. But the soup to nuts of finding identifying the dirt, doing the prelims, going all the way through, getting the consultants, it takes, it takes a lot of money and a a lot of risk to, to to getting it you know out of the ground leased up five years is a long time and, and you know I, I sort of shared some of my experiences versus the the, the value of multifamily how do you sort of balance the two businesses keep the lights on uh knowing that this is a long-term game um did, did i leave anything out in that summary no man that's a great summary i love it awesome awesome man well, look again thank you so much for jumping on today's show enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up very very soon all right thank you reed appreciate it well, there you have another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from Brian. Remember, check him out and invest with Brian, with a Y, dot com. Uh, he's got some cool stuff going on in San Diego. If you are in the San Diego area, you need to, you need to contact Brian because he is a guy that is going an inch wide and a mile deep in that region. Um, and some people would probably see, see San Diego and go, oh, it's too, there's no cash flow. I can't invest there. Well, Brian is investing there, making money there and making it his you know, muse in terms of he knows it in and out from the city through developments, through finding dirt. So definitely check him out at investwithbrian.com. Uh, all the show, links from today's show will be up on my website at reedgoosens.com. And if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give it a five-star review on iTunes. We're going to do this all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a cracker.